with the third pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Sam Darnold, quarterback, USC. Back to throw is Darnold, looks left, has time, looks over the middle, fires one down the left sideline, towards the end zone, Robbie Anderson, he's got it, that's a Jet touchdown. Darnold takes the snap, looks right, throws right, up the middle, he's got the ball, pal, in stride at the 15, at the 10, he's into the end zone, that's a Jet touchdown. Sam Darnold hit him in stride. Winning a Super Bowl is everyone's goal. Everyone on the team wants to win a Super Bowl. Anything short of that is a failure. And whatever my role is, I'm going to start in that role to work us towards that Super Bowl. One, two, three. And the This is the Gangrene Nation Podcast with Michael Mann. Hello and welcome back to the Gangrene Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Mania, and of course, this past week, the Jets announced the hiring of their new head coach, Adam Gase, former head coach of the Miami Dolphins over the past three years. And if you listened to last week's podcast episode or read my article from last week on Gangrene Nation, in which I ranked all of the head Jets head coaching candidates uh, from my favorite to my least favorite, I had Adam Gase last. So uh, when the Jets announced this hire, I wasn't too surprised. I did think that Gates was definitely a candidate that was strongly in the mix throughout and wasn't getting enough buzz uh, throughout the fan base for being in the mix because obviously I had him last and most other fans uh, didn't weren't too high on hiring Gates either. So I don't think fans are really acknowledging that Gates was definitely very much in play because we know that the Jets are were emphasizing offense with this head coach search, uh, trying to find someone who could ultimately develop Sam Darnold. Uh, and at the end of the day, that was what was most important for them in this search. So they take a guy in Adam Gase, who even though he was unsuccessful in Miami and his tenure ended really on a, a rocky note there uh, with some of his relations with the players, some of the things that the players said about him. Uh, he had a little spat with the owner in Miami, Stephen Ross. So uh, it didn't end on a very good note for Gase in Miami. He had a losing record there, went 23 and 25 over his three years, uh, had a losing record each of his uh, final two seasons after posting winning record in his first season. So ultimately, uh, when the Jets announced this hire, like I said, I wasn't too surprised about it. So I wasn't breaking things angry. Like I wasn't, uh, I know a lot of fans are really disappointed in this hire and I am too. I preferred Matt Rule. I preferred Todd Momkin and the way they're handling the building of the staff is a little frustrating. Uh, there are a lot of rumors that Dowell Loggins could come in as the offensive coordinator who was Gase's offensive coordinator in Miami. And Loggins has been extremely unsuccessful as an offensive coordinator in the NFL. He's been an OC for three teams, uh, Chicago, Tennessee, and Miami, and each three, all three of those teams that he coached were very poor offensively, so uh, I don't like the idea of bringing in a lot of Gase's assistance from uh, his Miami tenure when the Dolphins are really unsuccessful, so I don't like how they're handling that and the fact that they, that they moved on from Matt Rule because of a disagreement over his staff not letting him uh, take his own assistance from college, but at the end of the day, Gase is the guy, and I'm an optimist. If you read any of my stuff at Gangry Nation, and if you listen to the podcast, you know that I always try to keep it positive and look at the look at the good side of things and try not to get too down on anything and see the potential to where something can go right. So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Adam Gase's career and some of the things that he's done well throughout his coaching career in the NFL and why there is reason to believe that this could go right, because you've heard all the negative, you've read all the negative. Uh, the Jets went ultimately... It, 
if they chose Mike McCarthy, if they chose Matt Rule, it's going to be 50-50 either way. They're either going to go with an unproven guy like Rule or Monken, who some fans would be happy that they're taking a shot on a guy with a lot more upside, while some fans would be upset that they didn't take the proven guy in Mike McCarthy. If they went with McCarthy, vice versa would be true. And ultimately, I don't think Mike McCarthy is really in the mix. It seemed like he really was trying to just uh, some people joked he's going for a retirement job. Uh, he reportedly wanted to fly back and forth from Green Bay to practices in New York so we can see his family there. So it didn't seem like McCarthy was really all the way into this, and it didn't seem like the Jets were too interested in him either. But the Jets went with the one choice that it seemed like everybody disagreed with. So anyway, I'm not going to go into the negative. There's plenty of that out there if you want to. We're going to talk about the positive right now, so I'm going to try to sell you on Adam Gay. So we'll talk a little bit about his career, his coaching career in the NFL and some of the best things that he's done as a coach. So in 2008, after four years as an assistant offensively in Detroit with the Lions, Gase was promoted to the quarterback's coach for the Lions. And his starter that season was the 35-year-old John Kidna, who had gone only 5-14 and as a starter over his past three seasons. And I, I saw an interview with Gase back from when he was the offensive coordinator in Chicago, and they asked him about whether or not his age, because Gase is only 40 right now. So back in 2008, he was only uh, in about 30 years old in his late 20s. So they asked him about whether or not his age has ever been a detriment to him coaching, if anyone has ever looked down on him or put him off because of his age. And he said that getting to coach Kidna in Detroit, a guy who was a, a few years older than him, about a half decade older, uh, and he said that Kitna told him he doesn't care about his age. He doesn't care that he didn't play college football. All he cared about was making him better. And that's exactly what Gase did with John Kitna in Detroit, starting a trend of what Gase would do with most of the quarterbacks that he coached. He made them better. So Kitna had a renaissance season of sorts under Gase. He did lead the league in interceptions that year. He obviously was an interception-prone player throughout his career. But Gase led Kitna to a career-high 7.3 yards per attempt that season which was 11th in the NFL, and a career-high 63% completion percentage as well. And it went down as the best yards per attempt ranking of Kitna's career. And Detroit ranked in the top half of the NFL in scoring that year. And in his 15 NFL seasons, Kitna never led a team to more than the 346 points he led the Lions to in 2007 under Gase. So, by the way, earlier I did say that 2008 was the season that Gase became the quarterback's coach of the Lions. It was actually 2007, so... Kitna did lead the Lions to seven wins that season, two more than he had over his previous three years in the NFL, and three more than he would gain over the following four seasons to close his career without Gase. So Gase did lead Detroit for San Francisco following the 2007 season, and in 2008, without Adam Gase, Kitna started the first four games of that season for the Lions. His numbers dipped way below his career averages across the board. I believe that was the second-worst passer rating he posted as a starter in his career, and Kitna went down to season-ending injury, and the Lions quarterbacks uh, following him were terrible that season, and Detroit went 0-16 that year. So John Kitna had a career year under Gase, a, a guy who was much older than Gase was uh, while he was being coached by him. So Gase moved on to the 49ers in 2008. He was listed as an offensive assistant for them that season, and the Niners started the season with J.T. O'Sullivan at quarterback. And while O'Sullivan struggled with turnovers, again, another guy who obviously wasn't a very good player in the NFL and turned it over a lot, something that is hard for coaches uh, to coach out of uh, a veteran player still turning the ball over. But San Francisco did start out 2-6 and six under O'Sullivan, but he threw for 7.6 yards per attempt, which was top 10 in the NFL that year. And those two victories that O'Sullivan picked up were the only ones he ever got in his eight-year career. So Gase leading O'Sullivan 
to he also only played almost a decade in the NFL, and the only two wins he's able to get as a starter came under Adam Gase as an assistant coach. So San Francisco turned to Sean Hill for the second half of the season, and he was solid as well. He threw for 13 touchdowns, only eight picks, 227 yards a game at 7.1 yards per attempt as he led the Niners to a 5-3 record to finish the season. So Hill posted an 87.5 passer rating that season which is 12th best in the NFL, better than Eli, better than Cutler, Favre, Roethlisberger. And it ended up as the best passer rating of Hill's career in which he was a regular starting quarterback. And it was also career high for victories and his only season with a winning record. So two years as a lead assistant in Detroit and San Francisco and quarterbacks, that's three quarterbacks already who are winning way more than they have in recent years and following years with Adam Gase. So Gase went to Denver and spent two seasons as the wide receivers coach for the Broncos from 2009 to 2010. And in 2009, Brandon Marshall scored a then career high 10 touchdowns under Gase and posted a still standing career high of a 66% catch rate. And Marshall would head to Miami following that season. And in the following two seasons, without Adam Gase in Miami, he scored a combined nine touchdowns, less than he did in his one season with Gase. So the following season in 2010, 29-year-old Brandon Lloyd in his eighth NFL season Led the league in receiving yards with 1,448, added 11 touchdowns, and those totals nearly doubled his previous career best of 733 and 6, respectively. And Lloyd had a combined 860 yards and two touchdowns over his previous four seasons combined before pairing up with Gase. So doubling up what he did over almost the past half decade before Gase was his wide receivers coach. And Gase would transition to the quarterback's coach, the next season in 2011 for Denver, and Lloyd was traded for a six-round pick only four games into that year, and he'd never hit 1,000 yards or double-digit touchdowns again over his final four years in the league. So that, those were the only two years that Gase was a wide receivers coach and not working as either a quarterback's coach or offensive coordinator or head coach, but we saw it in those two years, Brandon Marshall playing really well under him and Brandon Lloyd having easily the best season of his career with Gase as a wide receivers coach. So we're getting that theme already with Gase getting the most out of his guys. And most of these players were veterans, uh, other than Marshall, of course, but especially at the quarterback position, most, most of these guys were veterans, uh, not young players who were uh, uber-talented first-round picks. But Gase getting the most out of just about all the key starters that he's coaching so far. So we move into 2011. As mentioned, Gase became the quarterback's coach in Denver that season, and he'd hold that position in 2012 as well. So six games into that 2011 season, in his second year in the NFL, Tim Tebow took the reins for the Broncos, and he started off a run that seems more, unfathom, more unfathomable each and every year. And, of course, Tebow is not and never was an NFL player, so it was always going to be a challenge to turn him into one, and his lack of development is tough to blame on coaches. He was an athlete playing quarterback, banking off of the big name he built for himself in college. But still, with Gase as his quarterback's coach, Tebow somehow managed one successful NFL season in 2011. He completed only 46.5% of his passes in the 2011 season, but he managed a ratio of 12 touchdowns to only six picks while ranking fourth in the NFL, averaging 13.7 yards per completion. So he went 7-4 and four as a starter in the regular season that year, led Denver to the AFC West title, and he capped it off with a victory in the playoffs over the Steelers, obviously the memorable touchdown to Demarius Thomas in overtime. Uh, obviously that run ended in New England the following week, but Tebow goes 7-4 and four as a regular season starter, wins a playoff game, and he only won one game as a starter the season before that in Denver, uh, while Gase was wide receivers coach, and obviously after that he went to the Jets and never started another game at quarterback in the NFL. So 
Gase faced the following season after that, after working magic with Tim Tebow, leading him to eight of his nine career wins as a starter, somehow helping the Broncos into the final eight teams of the NFL with a guy who can't even complete half of his passes. After doing that, he faced a completely different challenge the next season. Tebow became a Jet, obviously, and Peyton Manning, two years Gase's elder, comes in at quarterback, and in his first season back, Manning led the NFL in completion percentage, net yards per pass attempt, which adjusts for sack yardage, uh, QBR, the Broncos averaged over 30 points per game, second in the NFL, and it was only one of two times Manning led the league in completion percentage. The previous time was way back in 2003, and Manning also posted a 105.8 passer rating, which was second best in his career to that point. So Gase became the offensive coordinator for Denver in 2013, and of course we can never know for sure just how much of a part Gase played in the output. Uh, there's no questioning that his first season in a major coaching position was a massive success, even if it was with Peyton Manning, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. The Broncos scored 606 points, about 38 per game, in Gase's first season at offensive coordinator, and it remains the most points ever scored by a team in a single regular season. Peyton Manning threw for still-standing single-season records of 5,477 yards, 55 touchdown passes. It was the only season of Manning's career in which he threw for over 300 yards a game. He also led the league in net passing yards per attempt for the second season in a row under Gase, and it was only the first time he's done that since 2004-5, only the second time in his career he would end up doing that. Uh, 115.1 passer rating, which ended up as the second-best mark of his career. So 2012-13 and 13 ended up as two of Manning's three best passer ratings in his career, obviously both of those seasons under Adam Gase. And 2014 wasn't quite as record-smashing, but the Broncos still averaged over 30 points per game for the third season in a row, with Gase either coaching Manning at quarterback or running the OC spot from 2013 to 14. So Gase left for Chicago after the 2014 season, and in their first season without Gase, the Broncos did win the Super Bowl, but that was mostly because of the defense. The offense fell off of a cliff after Gase left. Denver fell to 19th in scoring, 25th in offense DVOA without Gase. They only scored 30 points on offense one time the entire season, including the playoffs, so... Uh, 19 games, one 30-point game after averaging 30 points per game with Gase over the past three seasons. So Manning hit the wall as soon as Gase left. And of course, that's you can't you can't just say that's because Gase left. Peyton Manning fell off a cliff. Uh, he was approaching 40 years old, and obviously physically he wasn't he clearly wasn't the same uh, in that 2015 season. But he did post a career worst 67.9 passer rating immediately after Gase left. And in the playoffs, he only threw for two touchdowns and under six yards per attempt. So uh, obviously Peyton Manning, like we said, it was just him hitting the wall. Physically, it was the last season of his career. Of course, he retired after that. But still, the Broncos offense as a whole did uh, completely fall off the cliff following Gase's exit. So in 2015, Gase would spend uh, that one season as the offensive coordinator for the Bears. And that season, Jay Cutler posted a 92.3 passer rating, which ended up as the best mark of his career and the only season in which he posted a 90-plus passer rating. He ranked... Ninth in the league in passing DVOA. He also posted career highs of four game-winning drives and 6.71 adjusted net yards per pass attempt, which adjusts for sack yardage and interception. So Chicago ranked top 10 in offense DVOA under Gase in 2015, an improvement off of their middle-of-the-road ranking in 2014. And the season following Gase's exit, the Bears dipped into the bottom half of offense DVOA. They scored only 17 points per game. Uh, over three points per game fewer than the 21-point-per-game average they held under Gase in 2015. And in that 2016 season, the, the year after Gase left, Cutler started only five games, and he posted 
the second worst passer rating and the worst QBR of his entire career the following season after posting a career high with Gase. So, of course, following that season in Chicago, Gase became the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. The Jets know him well. He went 5-1 over the Jets over his three seasons as Dolphins head coach. And Gase inherited Ryan Tannehill, who was going into his fifth NFL season at 28 uh, in that 2016 season. And Tannehill was off to a really good start under Gase. Over his 13 starts in 2016, Tannehill set career highs in passer rating, yards per attempt, net yards per attempt, adjusted net yards per attempt, completion percentage, touchdown percentage, and most importantly, win percentage as Tannehill went 8-5. and five. And it's starting to seem, uh, with the Dolphins potentially uh, making a change at quarterback, it's starting to seem increasingly possible that that 2016 season, 2016 season under Gase could go down as the only season in Tannehill's career in which he posted a winning record as a starter. So Matt Moore took over for the final three games of that 2016 season after Tannehill's injury. Uh, his first NFL starts in a half decade, and he went 2-1 and one in those three games to lead Miami into the playoffs. Uh, Moore threw for eight touchdowns, three picks, 8.3 yards per attempt, a 105.6 passer rating in those three starts. And among the six career seasons in which he started in multiple games, Moore had career highs in passer rating, yards per attempt, completion percentage, touchdown percentage in that season under Gase. And he also played pretty well in the one playoff game. He completed 29 of 36 passes for 289 yards and a touchdown as Miami lost to Pittsburgh in the wild card round that season. So the downfall started, uh, obviously, uh, with the Jets. We're used to honeymoon seasons with coaches. Uh, it's been a routine. Jets, uh, first-time head coaches, either running nine games, ten games, making the playoffs in their first season. But it was similar for Gase. The downfall started from in 2017 after Ryan Tannehill went down for the season. Gase uh, brought back Jay Cutler, who came right out of the Fox booth uh, in August, uh, debuting with the Dolphins in training camp to the field. So Cutler obviously looked washed that season. Uh, he threw for a career-low 6.2 yards per pass attempt. But still, despite Cutler being old and at the end of the line, it ended up being his last season. And like I said, he didn't uh, get signed by the Dolphins until August. Gase somehow dragged him up to 23rd out of 32 in passer rating up. And won six games with a team that easily could have won two or three. And a 30-plus-year-old quarterback as poor relative to league average in yards per attempt and interception percentage as Cutler was in that 2016 season has never won more games in a season than the six he picked up under Gase in 2017. So it was un pretty unusual for uh, Gase to be able to win that many games with an old, ineffective starter like Cutler that season. So Tannehill returned in 2018 already at 30 years old and uh, following missing the entire 2017 season. He clearly wasn't the same. Uh, in spite of his passer rating being a 92.7, he had the worst QBR in the league, which reveals uh, his hidden struggles. Obviously, uh, QBR is a stat that uh, values situations more, so it's a little more accurate than passer rating in terms of estimating true value of uh, quarterback's passing production. So Tannehill, the worst QBR in the league. And in addition to Tannehill, Gase also had to deal with Brock Osweiler starting a few games. Uh, Gase obviously worked with Osweiler back in Denver for a little bit uh, when he was the backup to Manning. So Gase did help Osweiler uh, post a career best 64% completion percentage and had him playing his most efficient football since 2015, uh, the Super Bowl season in Denver, while managing two wins in his five-star. One of those against the Chicago Bears, who won 12 games this season. But Osweiler was still uh, really terrible overall, held the offense back a lot. Obviously, uh, in the Dolphins' second win over the Jets in Miami, Jets fans saw how bad Osweiler was in that game. So my best, the best case you can make for Gase's Miami tenure is that you can make the claim he had to deal with terrible quarterback play that hampered his ability to 
maximize his vision on offense, build a competent winner. But at the same time, Gase still exceeded the expectations that the performances of his subpar quarterbacks would set. Gase's record exceeded the level of his quarterback play each year he spent in Miami. And a big part of that was his ability to win close games, which we'll get into more later. But we'll use ESPN's QBR here again, since it does do a better job of capturing overall impact than passer rating does. So in 2016, Tannehill's 24th in QBR. Dolphins went 10-6, and and that was tied for the ninth best record in the NFL 2017. With Cutler at 26 in QBR, Miami went 6-10. and That tied them for 22nd best record in the NFL. And this season in 2018, Tannehill, of course, was 32nd QBR. Dolphins went 7-9, and tying for the 17th best record in the NFL. So each of those three seasons, Gase winning way more games than he should be based on the performance of his quarterbacks. And a couple more interesting tidbits for you here. So Gase had four times moved on from the staff of one NFL team to another, and each of the four teams Gase left scored fewer points per game the season after he left them than they did in his final season with them. And four of the five times Gase was promoted to either quarterbacks coach, offensive coordinator, or head coach, Gase's team improved its scoring average over their previous season. So he's got a strong trend of not just with the individual quarterbacks and players he's coached, but teams overall offenses uh, doing better when he gets there and struggling after he's left. So a really good impact there offensively. So before we wrap this up, I'm going to go over a few of a few of the best positive gay stats in addition to all of those that I found digging through his career over the past week or so. So with the Patriots going into the AFC Championship again this year, you figure that the Pats are probably still going to be a fixture next season. So since 2001, the Patriots have gone 65-13, and 13, which is an 833 win percentage in December, which is the best win percentage by any franchise in any particular month over that span. And only one coach has two wins over those Brady Belichick Pats in December, and that would be Adam Gase. So I thought that was a pretty positive stat there. And and as I mentioned earlier, uh, Gase's ability to win close games is a big reason why he's been able uh, to exceed expectations in terms of win totals, uh, specifically in Miami, but everywhere he's gone. So that could be attributed to luck because while he was in Miami, he went 20-6 and in one-score games. It was the most one-score wins in the NFL. It was the best one-score game win percentage in the NFL. So you can make the argument that he was extremely lucky. He didn't look way worse because of that one-score record and that and that that's a number that's due to come down back to the mean and that uh, he really, as even though his Miami tenure wasn't impressive as it is, that he should have won far fewer games if he wasn't as lucky in those one-score games. But digging through it, I found a lot of evidence that his ability to win close games really could be an asset of his uh, that he's carried with him everywhere. So uh, since 2016, here are the results of drive starting in the final 10 minutes of the fourth quarter. While trailing by one score, the Jets had 25 of those drives. They scored three touchdowns, which is 12% of the time. That's 28th in the league. The Gase Dolphins had 18 drives. They scored eight touchdowns, 44%. That was second best in the league. So Gase had the Dolphins scoring in clutch situations while he was there. But uh, the reason I think that Gase's ability to win close games, like I said, uh, most one-score wins, best one-score win percentage in Miami. And at the same time, that's positive. It does make you skeptical because you wonder – uh, if he was just lucky to win that many games and that uh, he's due to come back to the mean with that. But that's a fair concern. But looking back at all the quarterbacks that he's coached, uh, it really seems like that uh, his ability to uh, get quarterbacks and win close games just might be something that he's been carrying with him everywhere. So uh, of those uh, eight or nine quarterbacks uh, that we just went over uh, going through Gase's career, seven of them posted a better close game win percentage under Gase 
than they did over the rest of their career. And every single one of them had a winning record in one score games. And all of them were either 600 or better in one score games with the exception being Jay Cutler, who was 11 and 10 in one score games under Gase. So he's been doing that everywhere. Quarterbacks have been winning one score games under Gase. And like I brought up to you, uh, Miami stats in clutch drives late in games while he's the head coach there, they were doing really well in late game situations where they needed to score. So Maybe Gase, that's just something that he can do. He knows how to drive up. He knows how to draw up two-minute drives, four-minute drives at the end of the game when the team needs a score. Maybe that's just one of his best assets. Of course, uh, he's been lauded for his ability as an offensive mind, his ability to draw up plays, just with his genius, Not maybe not necessarily as a leader, but his ability to draw up an offense and understand offense and create plays that could benefit his players. So everywhere he's gone, his quarterbacks have been winning significantly more close games than they have otherwise. So I think that's reason to believe that his really good close game record in Miami is potentially sustainable because the Jets under Darnold this year, he was one and six in one score game. So if Gase can do the same thing with Darnold, then that right there should add at least two, maybe three more wins if he can can sustain his close game record. And also looking at the nine quarterbacks that uh, Gase has coached, eight of the nine had a better passer rating under Gase than they did over the rest of their career. The exception was Tim Tebow, obviously a really small sample size without Gase, but 8-5 and five with Gase compared to 1-2 and two without him. So uh, seven of the nine quarterbacks had a better win percentage under Gase than they did without him. So eight of the nine quarterbacks have a better passer rating with Gase than they do without. Seven of the nine had a better yards per attempt with him than they did without. Uh, Tebow, one of those. Cutler's the other. And of course, uh, one of Cutler's two seasons under Gase was the last season of his career, which he was clearly washed up. And Cutler obviously did post a career high passer rating under Gase. So his track record with quarterbacks is really good. Just about all the quarterbacks he's coached have gotten better or set career highs under him. So so look, this is a tough hire to sell. There's no other way to put it. But I'll give Gase this. I do think he's done a fairly impressive job maximizing his quarterbacks almost every step of the way, everywhere he went. Like I said, quarterbacks either have set career best, one more often than they should have, or did both of those things. And has Gase developed a quality young quarterback yet? No, he hasn't. But has he gotten a legitimate chance to? Who do you think he should have developed? The mediocre 28-year-old in Miami who already had four seasons under his belt and actually did progress under Gase prior to his injury? Or Tebow? The, those aren't legit prospects that you can blame him for not developing. You're talking about uh, Tebow, who's obviously a glorified athlete playing quarterback. And we saw it happen to Tebow after he left after he left Denver and went to the Jets. Hasn't started another game at quarterback. Uh, Tannehill is a converted wide receiver who... Uh, was a reach, felt like a reach in the first round. And Gase hasn't had a prospect remotely like Sam Darnold yet. He seems to have a quality track record of maximizing what he's been given in the quarterback room. And obviously with his reputation as a receivers coach in Denver, which we went over earlier as well, not just with quarterbacks, but the entire offense overachieving as well, even though Miami's offense uh, did struggle, struggle under him. Uh, the only other uber talented quarterback Gase did get to work with, albeit a substantially more proven player than Darnold, at a much, much later stage of his career, obviously Peyton Manning ended up leading the highest scoring offense in NFL history. So if Gase can translate to the most intriguing young passing talent he's ever gotten to coach, what he's done with veterans, then maybe, just maybe, this thing could work. So there were a lot of other ways I would have rather seen the team go, almost any other way, actually. But as a fan of the team and someone who spends a substantial amount of time covering them, I'm going to root for Gase and do my best to believe in him and just looking at what he's done with quarterbacks over his career, that gives me confidence. And 
I hope the Jets uh, are able to close their deal with Greg Williams for defensive coordinator. Uh, it was reported that they're working on a deal with him. So hopefully that gets done because Greg Williams has done a tremendous job making defenses better everywhere he's gone. He did it with the Browns this past season. He did it with the Rams before that, the Saints. Uh, so everywhere he's gone, he's made defenses better. So I think having a guy to just completely run the defense and do a good job with that side of the ball will allow Gase to focus on the offense and the quarterback, of course, with Sam Darnold. And yeah, you would have liked to have a head coach who could uh, have more control over the entire team, like Matt Rule would have as a guy who succeeded as a head coach at Baylor and Temple, or a guy in Todd Monken who's done a really good job at the Buccaneers offense and does have a successful head coaching resume in college. Either one of those guys, I probably would have felt more confident in running the entire team and probably running a better offense. Maybe not with Rule, because Rule would probably need a good offensive coordinator to run his offense since he's more of an all-around head coach kind of leader at the head coach spot. So either Monken or Rule I would have preferred. And obviously, like I said, Gase was my least favorite choice. I'm not going to fully believe in the hire of Adam Gase until he actually starts winning games. But at the end of the day, um, as a fan of the team, I'm going to root for him and do my best to believe in his abilities as a coach and his potential to lead this team to where they want to go. So uh, as I record this, it is 11 a.m. on Monday, January 14th. So in three hours, Adam Gase is going to have his introductory press conference with the Jets. So if you're listening to this, uh, most likely it's happened already. So you could go back and listen to it uh, if you're listening to it. If you're listening to it, as soon as I've released this, it's probably going to happen very soon. So uh, make sure you listen to that. It's going to be really interesting to see uh, some of the answers that Mike McCagnan and Chris Johnson have for this hire. Uh, what Adam Gase has to say about what went wrong in Miami and his plans with Sam Darnold. So this should be a really interesting press conference to break Gase into the New York Jets. So thanks a ton for listening in. Uh, like I said, I'm doing my very best to sell this hire. Uh, on Twitter, I've been pushing the hashtag Gase Positivity, just going through everything, each and everything we can find positive about Adam Gase. Reason to believe in this hire, because I know a lot of fans are really down on it, really skeptical on it. Uh, this this is a chance for the Jets to really make something happen. They've got a lot of cap space. They've got great uh, great draft position. And most importantly, they finally have that franchise quarterback on his rookie deal. So this is the window right here in the next three years to build around Sam Darnold's rookie deal, to help him uh, maximize his potential and t- take advantage of the cap space around him because of his cheap contract uh, to make sure to keep your best players that you draft, to make sure to bring in veteran talent on offense and to plug other holes as well. So this is uh, the championship window for the Jets right here in the next three years. And it's supposed to be a really exciting time, but I'm, I am, I'm noticing a lot of fans that are really, really put down by this hire. So I'm doing my best to try and bring the confidence back up. So anyway, thanks a ton for listening in and I'll be back to talk some more Jets next week. This has been the Gang Green Nation podcast. Make sure to follow Michael on Twitter at Michael underscore Dania. And keep up with everything Jets at GangreenNation.com. At any point in your coaching career, did your age impact the situation you were in in a negative way? I was lucky enough to be with John Kitna. I think I was like 26, 27. He was like 35. And I asked him, and I'm like, does the fact that I never played college football bother you? And does my age bother you? And he shot it down right away. He was like, find a way to help me get better. And that's all I focused on after that. I was like, he doesn't care about all that stuff. He wants to make sure that I help him get better, period. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. 
This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.